Hear now the word of the Lord. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. And will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So I suspect this reading from Colossians is rarely paired with Psalm 130 in worship. Now there is some correlation. Paul's letter to Colossians encourages the recipients to sing psalms, and Psalm 130 is a psalm that the community might gather to sing. But that is pretty much the extent of their similarities. Consider first the Colossians text. It is full of imperatives. The holy and beloved Christians of Colossae are charged to clothe themselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. They are supposed to bear with and forgive one another. And then there's another layer of metaphorical clothing. They are to be decked out in love, which Paul promises will bind them together in perfect harmony. They're to let Christ rule their hearts, which is to say they are to submit to the ways of Jesus. They are to be thankful, immerse themselves in scripture so that the word of Christ dwells in their hearts, and they are to teach and admonish one another. They are to serenade God with the aforementioned psalms as well as other hymns and spiritual songs. Now there's a lot of verbs in that charge, a lot of verbs. And there is the implication of even more verbs. Whatever they do, they are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now it's all good stuff. It's the kind of thing, work we hope that our congregation is engaged in. It's a vision of life deeply rooted in the ethics of Jesus, whose clothes of compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and love are the pattern for our own knockoff garments. But frankly, when I read this text, I feel a bit tired. It's not that it's too much to ask, not exactly. It's just that we're not reading it in first century Colossae. We are reading it in the 21st century, 
a century in which the vast majority of us are living lives at a pace previously unimaginable. The German sociologist Hartmut Rosa puts it this way, chronological time or clock time does not change. It runs neither faster nor slower. Every day has 24 hours, every year 365 days. So the feeling that time is running faster must be explained by psychological reasons. It is a psychological phenomenon. But this phenomenon has social causes. The explanation goes like this. Whether or not we feel that we are short on time depends on the relationship between the time we have at our hands or at our disposal and the time we would need to fulfill our to-do list. Now the problem of our society is, is that there is an ever-increasing mismatch between the two. In order to do all the things we must or want to do properly, we would need 48 hours or so per day. Hence, we are always short on time and feel that time is running fast. This is the context in which we receive these ancient words. Again, there's nothing wrong with the charge itself. We're just busy people, and busy people might be tempted to behold all the verbs in that passage and wonder how we're going to squeeze them into our already overscheduled lives. Who has time to go to church to sing hymns when there are sports tournaments to attend? Who has the energy to don clothes of Christian virtue when we don't even have time to do the regular laundry? Who has the bandwidth to bear with and forgive difficult people when it's a lot simpler and easier to just ghost them? This passage sounds exactly how we want to live our lives. Eventually, someday, when we have time, but not yet. And then there is Psalm 130. It is a psalm uttered from the depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The psalmist could not be any more brilliant in crafting this prayer. The depths, it's such a perfect shorthand for suffering. There are all sorts of depths that we might visit at some point in our lives. The depths of grief, the depths of illness, the depths of disappointment. Not one of us lives a life without seasons spent in allegorical valleys and metaphorical pits. And one of the depths into which many of us tumble headlong is the depth of busyness. We are drowning under the pressures the sociologists named so succinctly. There aren't enough hours in the day to accomplish what we think we should, and so we constantly feel behind. Our unfinished to-do lists are a millstone pulling us under. From that low place, the psalmist slips us these perfect words and invites us to pray with him. This is not the kind of prayer you pray because you've carved out 10 minutes of quiet time for meditation 
and contemplation. This is the prayer you pray when you collapse beneath the threshold of your capacity to cope. You find yourself so exhausted to do anything anymore. All those good verbs on your to-do list rendered impossible. The beautiful thing about Psalm 130, the beautiful thing about so many of the Psalms is that it shifts the action from us to God. The focus falls away from what we are doing. The focus fixes on what God is doing and what God has done and what God will do. Think of a psalm you know like the back of your hand. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 paints a portrait of a God who acts, a shepherd who shepherds. Consider the verbs. The Lord makes, leads, restores. The Lord prepares and anoints. And perhaps the most subtle but significant verb the psalmist assigns to our sacred shepherd. To be, is, the Lord is. In a world that often scrapes away at our capacity for faith and trust in a God who is God, the word is, is actually kind of a big deal. We encounter a God who is God in Psalm 130 as well, a God who acts, a God who listens and attends and forgives and redeems and loves with a steadfast love. The great thing about encountering a God who is God is that we are reminded that we don't have to be. Now, Psalm 130 does present us with a verb. It is a very different sort of verb than the one it gives God, and a very different sort of verb than the ones we jot on our calendars. Psalm 130 prays us into the terrible, wonderful, crucial act of waiting. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. Nothing is worse for busy people than having to wait. We do not want to lose any of our precious time to stop lights or slow moving lines or for other people who are taking too long to do what we have asked them nicely to do. Waiting is the worst. And yet, in the spirituality of the Psalms, waiting is everything. The theologian Andrew Root writes extensively about the spiritual practice of waiting. He considers it a way of being. He writes, waiting as a way of being is to release control. To wait as a way of being is to be dependent on something that is not you. To get busy, to always be busy, gives us a sense of control, which we often equate with freedom. To stand still and wait for the arrival of something outside us 
on the other hand, is to surrender our freedom of taking hurried steps to have, to get what we want in the world. I want to obey the instructions and accept the invitations in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Again, it is a vision of life deeply rooted in the ethics, the way of Jesus. But if we are to receive this life, we will not be able to do so out of our own agency, with our own time, on our own terms. Our only hope is in God, the God who is God. So let us wait for the Lord and hope in the Lord, and then wait and hope some more. May it be so. Amen. We turn now to the sacrament of communion.